I'm also going to go live on this as soon as we get some of this housekeeping out of the way. And it'll be going to Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Twitch. If I've got everything configured correctly, which half the time I don't. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I have a feeling you know what I'm talking about, given the fact that you work with technology all the time. I still do. I do. I worked in live streaming for eight or nine years as well. So very familiar with you get it all tested in pre-production works perfectly. And as soon as you press that red button, something yep, goes. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, we have no audio. Great. Yeah. We did a two-hour mime live stream. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're watching the live stream, I'm going to introduce you to this gentleman right here. This is Nick Bolton, and I don't know Nick for Adam. In fact, his middle name might be Adam, for all I know. But I Thanks. do know somebody that is very near and dear to the hearts of anybody who has been a longtime listener of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and that is Kate Toon, who I love to call the sovereign of SEO from down in Sydney, Australia. Well, you know, I, I wanted to reach out and meet some new people. So I sent an email out saying, hey, trusted nonfiction brand guest, anybody you know that I should know? And the first thing she did was she talked to a few people, Kate Toon, that is, talked to a few people. And Nick came up and Nick is the first one on the list that I'm going to be talking to tonight. So why don't you introduce yourself very briefly to the nonfiction brand podcast listeners, Nick? Just give us a 30 seconds on who you are, what you do, and how you do it. No worries. Well, uh, my Australian accent is almost as bad as yours was because <laughs> I'm English. Um, <laughs> I've been in Australia 20 years. I came over here, worked for Ogilvy, the ad agencies, which was where I met Kate Toon, in fact. And after three or four years, then started a career in film and video and live streaming. I now run a content production company with my wife and business partner called 10 Alphas. We've been going seven years. We make TV commercials, documentary, bit of film, a lot of social, a lot of lifestyle content. We are also lecturers at the National Film School, AFTERS. We are creative industry business advisors for the New South Wales government. So we, we help creative practitioners starting their freelance business or in business and Generally, just love everything to do with creativity and small business and people getting out there and following their dreams, basically. Well, great. One of the things that sold me on getting you on the podcast was this little write-up that you sent me via Kate, and that is, did you know emotion is 22 times more likely than fact to be remembered in storytelling? Too often, branding is boastful, me, 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 look at my products and features, yet we buy off humans and our relationships with them. So finding emotion in your storytelling is crucial. Nick, I could not agree more. And frankly, that, that's a huge part of what the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is about and what my titular philosophy, Nonfiction Branding, is about. You know, hmm. you, you worked at Ogilvy, and I know Ogilvy has a Circle R branding process. Uh, here in the United States, a Circle R is a registered trademark, right? Yes. And every and I've worked at a bunch of different ad agencies and they all had what I call a circle R branding process, which is all the same stuff yeah. with a little bit different packaging. You know, yeah. however, one of the things that I, I should probably tell you this, because the nonfiction brand idea did not come from what uh, Zeus's forehead was. Is that one of the, the goddesses or something like that? Aphrodite, didn't she come from Zeus's forehead? It came from the fact that I was working on a project at an ad agency in Atlanta, Georgia, and had an absolutely terrible creative brief. And I marched into the account manager's office to complain about the quality of the brief. And I said, I am not a fiction writer. And that kind of stuck with me. 
Mm. So if I'm not a fiction writer, and by the way, I can write terrible fiction. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) But when it comes to advertising and marketing writing, I need to know what the truth of the product, service, person, whatever is. And that kind of put me on that nonfiction brand idea, which is this is about knowing who you are so you can be it. And it sounds like you share a similar philosophy when it comes to telling true, honest, emotional stories. Am I getting that right? Can I give you an example? Like, Absolutely. Um, so like, we, I do a lot of case study and documentary work. And as you'll well know, when it comes to interviewing people, I know it will go well if I've done my discovery with them, i.e. I've had a chat with them prior. And that is done several ways to, to break the ice. It gives me an opportunity to understand what their character and personality is. And I like to mirror the person I'm interviewing. So if they're quite serious and professional, I can go that way. And if they're really laid back and using it, you know, an expletive, I'll, I'll go that way. Whatever it might be, I kind of mirror them. But during that discovery process, I also like to just find out their quirk, their weird thing, the odd thing about them that we can like, it was just the hook. Right. Because if you just go in with what's the product feature benefit sell, it becomes really boring. And one of my proudest pieces of content was a piece I did for Telstra, which is the, the biggest telecommunications company okay, in Australia. Huge, huge organization. One of the biggest in Australia. And we did a, a case study on, a, on a, a client of theirs up in the Hunter Valley. And in the edit, I didn't mention the Telstra word, the T word, until about 70 seconds into the two-minute clip. And it actually got through their eight stages of approval because I'd started it with such an emotional, personal, human story that it hooked everybody. And so that when Telstra was the answer, everybody was already engaged. It got through that first, you know, 10, 15 seconds of, do I continue or not? Switch on, switch off, you know? Well, boy, that resonates with me because yeah. uh, I remember early on in my career as an advertising copywriter, I would write radio spots typically Mm. 60 seconds back in the day, 60 second radio spots. And I literally had creative directors who were schooling me on how to write a right kind of radio spot that you better mention the name of the company or the service or the product in the first 10 seconds, or you're wasting time. And by the way, you need to have at least three mentions of the product service or whatever in every spot. And I'm like, why? Because if you could tell a compelling story that gets people's attention so much so that when they hear the advert come on again, they pay even more attention because they like the story that was being told. Why not let them discover the brand? Because you're actually demonstrating the brand and how yeah. they care, et cetera. I see you nodding your head almost violently. That approach just means everything becomes homogenized. Everything becomes the same. And advertising can get really boring when it's like that. Advertising can have a bad name to it. But when you are advertised to with something you, you love, you don't actually realize you're being advertised to. Yeah. It resonates with who you are as an individual, as a person. And I love really good advertising that speaks to me. Well, you know, here in the United States, we have the big Super Bowl football match uh, game. We don't call them matches. They're games. That's what we call the Super Bowl of advertising because the huge brands that buy up, you know, $3 million of 30 second spot to pull out the stops. Well, in the UK, Christmas time 
is kind of the Super Bowl of advertising for the UK. Does Sydney or does Australia have a kind of a the premier event at which prestige companies always tell their stories? Probably not to the degree of Christmas or Super Bowl. I mean, cricket is the national sport here. So there's basically five tests in the cricket season, starting in November, finishing in January. And the Melbourne test always starts on Boxing Day and the Sydney test always starts on the 2nd of January. And so there's a lot of lot of ads that are, are cricket orientated around that time. And it's quite interesting how they've evolved over like I've been in Australia 20 years now. And now it's it's very, very story led advertising and encouraging youngsters to get involved. And of course, the wonderful movement to encourage women's cricket as well now. And I think that, that advertising has raised its game a lot. Nothing to the degree of, degree of Super Bowl. Do you think that's a missed opportunity in uh, Australia right now? Possibly. I mean, you know, Christmas is a lot more laid back here. It's, still, as an Englishman, I find it strange being on the beach on Christmas Day and sure. you know, eating seafood. And you've been up. there 20 years. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, I want to ask you a question about storytelling from your point of view. Specifically, what is your definition of storytelling when it comes to the context of telling your personal story with the goal of building your personal brand, your personal brand awareness in the marketplace in a way that is completely true to who you are, what you do, and how you do it. Sure. I mentioned earlier I'm a, I'm a lecturer at Afters, the Australian Film, Television, and Radio School. And one of the courses we teach is, is content creation and applied storytelling. And in that, we came across a definition which I, I really liked, which I might just read out to you. It's a recount of events in which someone we care about has a goal, problem, or desire, and they're having increasing difficulty getting it. This means they take increasingly risky actions, resulting in success or failure, which causes them or others to change, thereby illuminating a truth about human life. Now, that's certainly a definition that is you know, applied to films making, film sure, storytelling. Sure. If we distilled that down into something that is a bit more about our own personal self and, and comes to, say, more business branding, it's basically stories of fact wrapped in context delivered in emotion. And I think it's the delivering in emotion bit that is often left out. We have seen in the last five years the explosion in online courses and, and online content. And there are hundreds of these life coaches and course gurus and things like that. And they all make it, you know, a shiny holy grail that they're gonna try and they're gonna resolve for you based on their experience. One of the things I love about Kate Toon actually is that she's created her community the misfit entrepreneurs where it's like, you know, business is really tough. It's not shiny. It's not like full of success. It's got loads of failure and, and hard times where it seems like grit and perseverance need to come through and, and asking for help. And that's why I, what I love about Tooney's community is that it's like, let's, let's get rid of all that bullshit, all that shiny stuff. And let's just be a bit more truthful to, to what's going on. So when it comes to myself, I mean, I, I guess my attributes uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very laid back. I like to have a lot of fun. I, I'm driven by fun and happiness and experience rather than profit and financial goals. But at the same time, whenever we deliver work, what I do take seriously is delivering on time, delivering on budget with a smile on my face and maybe throwing a little bit of extra value because it's a well-known cliche, but keeping hold of a client is a lot cheaper than trying to find a new one. Yeah, that's very true. And because I'd like to think a lot of my clients have stayed with me for a long time, I don't actually do that much marketing right. or advertising. 
we're, we're okay on social. You know, we post a bit, very rarely do any paid or sponsorship advertising. But we're both very, as the founders of the business, we're both very active in our communities. We're very active in networking. We often enjoy speaking. We enjoy teaching because all that stuff generates something else that Kate Toon talks about is eat, expertise, authority, and trust. And I think if you just carry on with that mindset, the word of mouth will help. Yeah, well, if I can translate that into some of the nomenclature I use all the time, it all comes down to the, a single word, and that is demonstrate. You uh -huh. demonstrate who you are, what you do, and how you do it in such a way that everything you deliver to people is aligned with that demonstration, with that brand proof, so much so that the people you work with now become part of your unpaid sales force because they're your absolute best salespeople. That's part of the reason I'm guessing a lot of your clients stay with you for so long. It's that not only do they feel the satisfaction that you demonstrate every time you work with them, but they're also proud to suggest you, to evangelize for you to other people because yes. they know exactly who you are, what you yeah. do, and how you do it. Yeah. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate the Completely True, Completely You Brand You Already Are, now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything-is-media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy said, this is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to amazon.com and search nonfiction brand and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Yeah, we film a, a lot of people that have never been on camera before, and for them, it's terrifying, right? And I think one of my strengths is my ability to put people at ease and to make them feel relaxed and try and not make it feel like an interview or whatever it might be. So it's just Jess, my wife, she's very good at it as well. And I think that's one of the feedback we often get is that we turned what was a potentially scary experience into something they actually really enjoyed you know and again it comes back to my my value of like let's have fun with this you know because if if if, if you bring out that emotion of fun and enjoyment it's a very positive mindset and it, it will get shared you know yeah and people who listen to the nonfiction brand podcast may not be aware when i contact someone oftentimes their first expectation will be that oh you're going to send me some questions yeah sure and I never, no, no, never send questions because what you get are canned answers instead of very immediate answers that are based on the context of the conversation. So Nick and I literally did not know each other as of 20 minutes ago. And right. now we're having an in-depth conversation where I'm getting to know not who he might want to front himself to be, yeah. But who he actually is. And that I think is so very important. And one of the reasons, frankly, I do this podcast, you yeah. know, 
because it's a chance for me to demonstrate who I am, what I do, how I think, what I sound like, you know, all that stuff. And I get to do it basically for free. I mean, it cost me, I think, $5 a month to host these podcasts on Podbean. You know, one of the reasons I thought this would be fun was A, that you came uh, via Kate, who is not only a very good friend, but someone I respect immensely. So if you'd got Kate's seal of approval, it was like, okay, good. If you'd reached out to me directly, I might have gone, you know what, he's, he's in America, it's not my market. I don't know whether I could be bothered, yeah? Yeah. But the second thing was when you did reach out to me and I could see that you'd done 125 odd episodes already. So I was like, all right, this guy's got some consistency. He's been delivering. And then when you said there's no questions, I was like, beautiful. I love that because it is going to be a free, spontaneous, free flowing conversation. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is when I did a little bit of research, you know, I pull up your LinkedIn page and stuff like that, go to your websites. I saw that you're an actor. And I'm like, yeah, that's a little close to home because my degree is in theater and I have, oh, abso- yeah, I have absolutely zero certifications in advertising and marketing, but I'm a human being who's been a consumer of advertising and marketing since I was a very small pup. And consequently, I'm an, an expert in it, just like anyone else's, which is if it attracts my attention, if it captures my imagination, if it involves me emotionally, I'm going to be interested enough to find out more. And, you know, it kind of goes back to your definition of storytelling, which is good branding is about telling, in my case, absolutely true nonfiction stories via the way you demonstrate. You demonstrate your brand and tell your story by just being completely true, completely you. Yeah. Demonstrate who you are, what you do and how you do it. Going back to my actor days, that's not what acting was about. Acting was about putting on a front, being cooler than everybody else in the audition, you know, walking in with this 12 pound bag of confidence when you feel like, oh my God, everyone looks like me and they're better than me. But I found out very early on as an actor, if I didn't actually care about getting the part, I had a much higher conversion rate. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. The minute I realized with auditioning to not worry about the outcome, but to just enjoy the audition. I I look at auditions now as half an hour in the day of where I actually get to be an actor. Right. Right. And as long as I've done my preparation and my research and I've got to bed early and I've, I've not eaten load of carbs an hour beforehand and I've got myself in the best possible position and I can go in there and do my best. And that is a really good outcome for me. I know that the decision whether they pick me isn't always on whether I did the best performance, but it's whether I look the part, had that, would have that visual chemistry with other people. There's lots, there's lots of reasons, you know. So it puts you in good stead, especially when it comes to sales as well. You know, like you get used to a lot of rejection with, with, with acting and the same with sales, you know, and with, with pipeline sales funnel. I, I know that as long as I'm doing the quotes, a certain percentage of them will convert. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite internal sayings to myself and to others is that fear is flammable, meaning that you can burn it out of you. And if you've been on over, uh, I don't know, 100 auditions, you don't have fear anymore. I mean, it's too much emotional baggage. It's like I walk in, I look around and there are 15 people who look exactly like me. My odds of getting that job are probably one in 15. Yeah. If I'm really good, maybe I can make it uh, the odds one in 10. Yeah. All right, cool. 
But here's the thing, and I was just talking to someone about how they got their first job, and they said they got it not because of their resume or their, their CV. They got it when, and the HR person told them this, something like 500 people applied for the job, and this person got it because of her personality and yeah. her confidence and her energy. You know, she came in and I've been hearing this over and over here in the States that HR people are saying the thing they look for is not on a resume or in a CV. It's in the energy that that mm -hmm. person comes in with in the meeting. Like if mm -hmm. they want to be there, if they have a smile on their face, even if they yeah. get a few questions wrong or, you know, maybe not an optimal answer, it doesn't matter. That's learning. Yeah, well, exactly, because a, a lot of businesses take the point of view that we can teach them the stuff we need them to, you know, the systems, yeah. the processes that we use. Yeah. We need to know that they're decent people worth investing that time and money into to teach them. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's huge when it comes to people trying to create a personal brand. Now, let me ask you this question about Australia in general. Personal mm -hmm. branding here in the United States is very big. You know, it was introduced in 1997 by Tom Peters in a Fast Company magazine article. It's been around forever, but it's really, really taken off in a world where people think influencers equals mm. personal brand. And mm. I say, mm, kind of, but not really. Personal brands don't have to be influencers, but personal mm. brands are influencers, but not in the Instagram influencer way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Has personal branding taken off in Australia the way it has here? I think if you break it into stereotypes, our stereotype impression of America is the, the, the big brush, I'm amazing, I can do anything type approach. Whereas in Australia, it's very much very laid back. And if anyone gets a bit above the station, we'll take this, it's called, we'll take the tickets off you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Bring you down to size a bit. Yeah. Um, there's a much, and you know, it's in Britain where there's quite a class based system in America, in Australia, it's, uh, you know, it's very much flatter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, obviously you've always had your celebrities and their branding, but when it comes to, look, I think, I think in the, in the, in the startup entrepreneurial space has, has exploded in, here in the last 10 years, I'm sure it has in Australia. Everyone has their side hustle. There's lots of incubators and, and startup hubs everywhere, and the co-working space is huge. So I think, I think there's a, a lot of people that do have, are creating their own brand. Certainly interesting with the pandemic, everybody working from home. And you know, as a creative industry business advisor, a lot of my clients are starting the side up and the hustle. And it's something that we talk about a lot in, in that instance is, is very early on. It's not about what your product is and who you want to sell it to is, but what are your values? And values are, can often be a very fluffy word. And certainly in big enterprise can feel a bit, you know, what's the word? In big enterprise, it can feel that they've been done by committee a bit. So when it comes to personal branding at the small end of town, which is where I kind of specialize in, if you can find your values and find your tone of voice, then you'll present yourself as yourself. I don't want to use the authentic word because I hate the word authentic. Oh, so do I. I do too. But I love the fact that you hit on values. In fact, I have a nonfiction brand formula. Mm. It's pretty simple math because I'm terrible at math, right? It's your value plus your values equal mm -hmm. your personal brand. So yeah, no. my value to you as a purveyor of services or as a human being, plus my values, the way I do it, the things I care about, that is 
more or less the basis of my personal brand. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what you just described, which is, yeah. and that's where true, I think, concord comes between people is when their values line up. Yeah. And people will say, well, what, what does that mean, values? Well, again, you demonstrate your values every day. Like I've been on sets, you know, big commercial sets where we're multiple trucks, multiple cameras, all that stuff. My rule of thumb for myself was when it's lunch break time, everybody goes first. I go last to the craft services table, especially if the client's there. I make sure that they're in front of me for sure. But also all the actors and the grips and the, the DP, the real DP, not the fake DP, but the director of photography, all those people who are actually putting in a hard day's work, they go first. And I don't make a big deal about it, but it's a demonstration of one of my key values, which is let these people, these hard workers who really need to take the time, have as much time as they can to eat lunch. Because I'm going to work them hard in the rest of the day, but uh, they have earned it. I was teaching at Sydney Film School before Christmas to their cohort on the business of being an actor. And there was a few little things that I, I said to them about, you know, not just being on time, but maybe arrive half an hour early. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's such a simple thing. And as a producer, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, you've written a million call sheets and, of course, you send them out and no one ever reads the call sheet. Right. I love it when I do send out call sheets and the cast or the crew respond, thanks, Nick, got the call sheet, all good. Yeah. It's like, what, five words? Right. It tells me that I know they've received it, they've understood it, and there's no issues. And it took them like five seconds, you know? But that's a demonstration of your values yeah. as a performer, as a, uh, a member of the crew, whatever. Yeah. It's the understanding that if you're a producer, you're juggling 5,000 balls during that's every right. production. That's right. And if you can have one thing taken off your plate in terms of stress by knowing that, okay, my key people are going to be there on time because they've acknowledged receipt of the call sheet. Yeah. I'll sleep better tonight. Thank you very much. And by the way, as a producer, who are you going to call the next time you have a production? Those people who have demonstrated who they are, what they do and how they do it in a way that demonstrates their values. Expertise, authority and trust. Yeah. Yep. The trust because they've responded to simple thing like a call sheet and they turned up half an hour early, you know, and it's like, all right, I, I can rely on them. You know, they're not going to cause me grief. Yeah. Is personal branding as easy as that? Well, no, it's, that's not just only that. In fact, that's why I'm excited to have Nick on next week's episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast 2, where we will continue this conversation. But for now, I got to wrap this up because we're kind of going into the 30 minute territory on this. I want to say, Nick, how can people connect with you online if they're interested? Is there a website or a social channel that you frequent most often? Yeah, I'm mostly predominant on Facebook. Our website is 10alphas.com.au and I'm on LinkedIn. I use Twitter a bit. So yeah, Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you want to email me, nick at 10alphas.com.au, I'm always open to hear from people. Nick's going to be on next week, but for now, I'm DP Knuton for the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, and he is... Nick Bolton. And we'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>